Now, our Bible reading tonight is taken from Psalm 45. And we're going to read together the first eight verses. Psalm 45. While you're turning to the place, let me just point out to you that there are 50 references in the scriptures that mention the word king and mention the word good in the same context. And that's what we want to think about tonight. Psalm 45, verse 1, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness. And righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 8. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now we do welcome you all tonight to the house of God. We thank you for coming. And for those who are visiting with us, we're really especially delighted to have you. Many of our folks at this minute in time are on holiday, given that it's the 12th fortnight in July. And I pray that the Lord will bless them. But we're really, of course, glad to have you join us at this particular time. And we want to say welcome to all who are online. We had a tremendous um, number on online this morning from different places in the kingdom and beyond and to them we say welcome again in the lord's name and pray the lord will richly bless you and we just want to say that if you are blessed and encouraged by the uh, services here and uh, feel that you learned something from the word of god then do share that with others and introduce them to uh, what we look upon as a, a biblical ministry at this particular time I'm not wanting to crow, but um, there, there's many places tonight that are um, gospel light, and I, I use that word deliberately. Uh, um, it's, it's a very, very shallow presentation of the gospel, even if it is that. And uh, I'm delighted that you're here. I appreciate your support. Thank you for your prayers. And we just look to the Lord to help us uh, to grow and expand uh, as a congregation. Uh, do remember the few necessary announcements. Um, Wednesday night, uh, we'll meet for prayer and Bible study at 8 p.m. in the will of God. 
and uh, we look to the Lord for his help uh, at this particular time. Uh, do you remember then, next Lord's Day, just the usual services, uh, 11.30 and 7, preceded by the times of prayer, uh, and in the will of God, the Reverend Derek Irwin will be the preacher. Uh, I'll be on holiday, and the Reverend Derek Irwin from Ahokal has uh, very kindly agreed to come back again and preach uh, here next Lord's Day morning and evening. So do remember that and remember him in prayer. Uh, speaking of prayer, I would appreciate your prayers for tomorrow. I have two services. I have a service at 9 a.m. in the morning in Scarva, and then I have another service to attend in uh, Tandragee at 11.30. And we appreciate your prayers uh, at that, and we rejoice in the opportunity to go and share uh, the word of God. Could we just also make mention of... Um, Dr. Jonathan Hegarty's appointment to the position of uh, CEO of the uh, Strandmillis University College. And we want to congratulate Jonathan, and I would encourage you to pray for him. And as I said in his uh, mother's presence and his sister's presence uh, this day, that it is indeed good uh, that uh, we have at least a Christian man uh, in charge of such a prestigious uh, college at this time. And we do know that he is the brother-in-law of Paul here and uh, the uncle of Andrew. And it's good to have Andrew out with us. And we pray that the Lord will bless the family at this time. Do you remember to pray for all in the nursing homes in these days? Um, and we trust the Lord to keep his hand upon them. And even during the time uh, when I'm off from Sunday week, that everybody will be safe and well. And I appreciate that. Now, my text tonight is taken from Psalm 45, verse 1. It says, My heart is indicting a good matter. I will speak of the things which I have made touching the king. Now, my theme this evening, I've entitled it, Learning from the Life of King William III. I'm thinking of these words of the psalmist. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. Now, tomorrow is, of course, the 12th day of July. It marks the 331st anniversary of the famous Battle of the Boyne. Now, that battle, of course, is very important in history and highly significant in that it helped to shape and bring about the many glorious freedoms that we enjoy today. The freedom of free civil and religious liberty, freedom of speech, freedom of judiciary, freedom of uh, uh, parliamentary democracy. You see, that battle, the Battle of the Boyne, like other battles that made up what we're going to call the Williamite War, is forever synonymous with the life of one man. And that one man is known as William III, Prince of Orange. And to this day, thousands who celebrate King William's victory over the Jacobite forces in 1690 sing songs and ballads to this effect. I, I think of one such song. It's called The Green Grassy Slopes of the Boyne. I'm not going to attempt to sing it, but part of it I quote, On the banks of that beautiful river, there the bones of our forefathers lie, awaiting the sound of the trumpet to call them to glory on high. 
In our heart we will cherish their memory, and we with our brethren will join for sending us King William to the green, grassy slopes of the boy. You see, I believe tonight that on the 12th day of July, every year, we should give thanks to Almighty God for sending us King William to the Boyne. We should give thanks for that glorious victory. We should thank God for the many wonderful blessings and benefits that have flowed forth from that time right to our day and generation. And I'm thinking about our precious freedoms free civil and religious liberty, freedom of speech, an independent judiciary, a parliamentary democracy, and many more. And we thank God for the people down the ages that have stood for such freedoms and rallied to the cause. You see, I believe tonight that it's good to look back to our past. We're looking back 331 years, and we're attempting to learn from our history. You see, people tell the like of me today, well, let the past go past. Move on. Live in the present. I want to say tonight that if the Jews can go back 3,500 years to the Passover, and the Lord said to them constantly, remember you were bondmen in Egypt, and he wanted them to think to their past to live in the present, then surely we can go back 331 years. You see, I believe it would be remiss and wrong of us if we didn't learn from our history. I wonder tonight if you ever heard of the hillbillies. Now, I'm not thinking of any one particular family, but let's think of the term hillbillies. Do you know that it originated in the United States of America? Settlers from Ulster, Hardy folk, Ulster Scots descent, they emigrated from this country to the United States of America and they moved to live in the hills of West Virginia and the Tennessee Valley. And they get together at times of the year and one of those times is around the 12th day of July. And you know what they do? They do what we do. They sing ballads. They, they recite their history. They, they tell tales of heroism in times that are past. And one of the songs that they sing about is King William on the green grassy slopes of the boy. Now think of it. People in America living in the hill country, the Tennessee Valley, the, the um, West Virginia uh, region, and there they are remembering King William. And they're remembering God's deliverance through him in the past. So I feel it's important that we enter into that tradition this evening. I want us to think about five things. If I use this text as a spring text, I speak of the things which I've made touching the king. And I'm going to speak about an earthly king, but I'm going to apply it to the heavenly king, none other than Jesus Christ King of kings and Lord of lords. The psalmist said, my heart is indicting a good matter. And the word indicting means bubbling up. So he's full of joy and delight as he opens his mouth to speak of the things that he's discovered and made concerning the king. He's speaking well of the king. So I want to speak well of an earthly king tonight, lifting it up and apply it 
in the spiritual realm. I want you to think, first of all, of the day of his birth. Did you know that William III was born on the 14th day of November, 1650? He was born at The Hague in the Netherlands. And from the day he was born, from the moment he came into the world and cried like baby cries in the world, he was known as William, Sovereign Prince of Orange. He was the Sovereign Prince of Orange from his birth. In fact, in the day that he was born, the room into which he was brought into, that room was draped in black. Do you know why? Because eight days before little William III was born, his father, William II, had just died. His father had died from smallpox. The family was sad. They were in mourning. And when William was born, he was born the sovereign prince of the House of Orange. And isn't there a gospel lesson? Isn't there a parallel? An earthly monarch, and he's born a king from the moment of his birth. And remember the Lord Jesus when he came into the world on the day of his birth, he too was born king. Because the wise men came to Herod and they asked him, where is he that is called king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. William's mother was also called Mary. When William sadly was 10 years old, his mother was in England visiting her brother and other relatives. She took ill and died. The year was 1660. According to historians, William grew up a very small man physically, slightly stooped. He had a bit of a, a bent back. He suffered many health issues, one of which was asthma, another was headaches. But in the providence of God, and here's a miracle of grace, he was brought up in what we call the Reformed faith. Now, how did that come about? His grandfather was called William the Silent from the House of Nouveau. He was the former high courtier to the House of Philip of Spain. Philip of Spain was the new emperor of Spain at that time. And in the court of the new emperor, William II, heard a rumor that a certain day in a certain town, uh, certain Protestants were going to be murdered. And somehow, William the Silent got a warning to the town and his people, and the fellow Protestants there, well, they fled to safety. William the Silent's son was also called William. And he married the sister of Charles and James called Mary. And William was born then, as I've told you, the 14th of November, 1658, days after his father had died. He's born a sovereign prince. Now, after his mother's death, he had a very lonely upbringing. It's interesting that the government of the Netherlands, the parliament of that day, ordered and instructed certain reformed pastors to teach and train William III up in the teaching of the Reformed faith. So early in life as a teenager, we're not sure if as a child or as a teenager, before he became 20, he professed to be a Christian. He professed to be a true born-again believer. And during his life, 
He showed a love for the word of God. Like the psalmist, he could say, oh, how I love thy law. He showed a love for the Sabbath day. In fact, he honored the Sabbath on many occasions, as I'll tell you a little later. Because the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And also he loved spending time before the throne of God in prayer. And even in the night before the Battle of the Boyne, he led his troops in prayer and quoted the word of God. Uh, Romans 8 verse 31, of God before us, who can be against us? You see, William grew up conscious, not only that he had become a, a Christian, that he was born again of the Spirit, but he grew up conscious that he was chosen, that he was being prepared and raised up from the, by the Lord to do a great work for God in his day and generation. In other words, he grew up with the knowledge that he was a chosen instrument for something great and good. I wonder tonight, are you aware of the date of your birth? Why were you born in that date? What's the purpose of your existence? Surely our catechism says man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in the journey of life, you're here, and this is the chief reason why you're here, to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to profess the living and the true God as your God, to profess to be one of his children who are born of the Spirit and washed in the blood, one of his chosen followers. You see, many young people today, loyalist communities, Roman Catholic communities, sadly, they, they live aimless lives. They feel that there's no purpose or meaning to their existence. But there is. And it's connected to the life of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And William was brought up to believe that one day, not only was he chosen to be a Christian, but he was to be destined to be the human instrument of God that would bring about deliverance for a suffering people. And he lived in light of the fact that he was born into a physical world. But I wonder, are you living in light of the fact that you've been born again into a spiritual world? Is there a day in your life when you were gloriously and wondrously saved by the um, power of God? Can you testify tonight there was a day and time in your life when you were converted, when you repented of your sin and you believed the gospel? So there's the first thing we learn about William. The day of his birth. 14th of November, 1650. The second thing I want you to learn about William is this. And this is what William learned growing up. The description of the butchery. You see, between 1641 and 1688... Just prior to William's arrival in the shores of England, let's remember the context of history. Let's remember the theater into which William came. You see, William's coming to England was against a vicious campaign being waged against the Protestant people in Ireland, in England, and in Scotland primarily. Let me just give a few illustrations. 1641, there was a rebellion erupted here in Ulster 
when certain Roman Catholic individuals and groups of men banded together and began massacring large numbers of Protestants. This was a very preemptive strike by certain individuals to overthrow the Protestant plantation settlement. If you were to drive into Luck Brickland, stop at the lake, I want you to think in 1641 of men and women and children being forced into that lake by pikes and drowned. I want you to think also of a place called Bloody, Bloody Bridge in Newcastle, where many hundreds were piked to death, thrown over the bridge. I want you to think of an old church in Gaul. The remains are there to this day when 300 Protestants were burnt to death. Now, these are facts of history. I'm not making it up. I'm talking about the vicious campaign being waged against the Protestant people in Ireland, and it stretches back to 1641. Then let's think of what was happening in 1660 in England. Oliver Cromwell died. He was known as the Lord Protector. And Charles II came to the throne. And shortly after his arrival to the throne, and he was an ardent Roman Catholic, a thousand ministers were put out of their churches. They lost their parishes, they lost their income, and they lost their homes. And they were told, you're not allowed to preach the word of God. You can't preach it in a church building, and you certainly can't preach it in the open air. Remember John Bunyan. You've heard of John Bunyan. John Bunyan was from Bedford. And for preaching the gospel in the open air, in defiance of Charles II and the authorities of that day, he spent 14 years in jail. And of course, he was the author of Pilgrim's Progress and another book called The Holy War that I recommend you to read. He had a little blind daughter called Mary, and she used to bring him food often to the prison. And of course, it was very difficult for Mary in a home where she didn't have her daddy for 14 years. You see, I'm trying to put it into the background of persecution. And it was wanton butchery. Could I take you to... 1685, so we're coming from 1641 to 16. Here's another illustration. Just the killing times in Scotland. One time I was in Scotland, I visited Wigtown. And um, Wigtown, of course, is, has a memorial there to what is called the Wigtown Martyrs. Two Margarets, a 60-year-old woman, and a 16 to 18 year old girl, two believers. And they refused to recant their faith in Christ. They refused to deny that Christ is the sole head of the church and the sole king of his people. And they were saying, but we have no king but Christ. They were Bible believers. They carried the scriptures with them. And that was why they were arrested. And of course... That's on the edge of the Solway Firth. And they were taken out and they were tied to two posts. 
as the tide was coming in, the older one further afield from the younger one. The older one drowned first, and the younger one was brought closer to the shore. Claverhouse was hoping that the younger Margaret would recant, but she didn't. She refused to deny Christ. And you see, this was against the backcloth of the Covenanters meeting in secret, meeting in fields, woods, and forests, uh, meeting for worship in secret. We could think of the names of Donald Cargill. The, the name of John Brown comes to mind. Here was a man that was just newly married. Claverhouse and his men came to the house where he lived, and they murdered John Brown in cold blood in front of his wife. They just cut his throat. The blood ran onto the ground. Claverhouse said to his wife, what do you think of him now? And this was her reply. I think more of him now than I ever thought of him before. You see, those were days of great sacrifice. And here's a description of the butchery that lay behind William landing on our shores. And we can't divorce it from the context. I want you to think of a third thing in relation to William. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king, the day of the battle. You see, you're familiar that the battle of the Boyne took place when? I have to tell you, it didn't take place on the 12th day of July, 1690. It took place on the first day of July, 1690. Now we remember, of course, that the first of July is associated also with the Battle of the Somme in um, 1916 and of course there's a strong connection to the 36th Ulster Division but also a strong connection to the 16th Royal Irish Rifles so why do we remember the Battle of the Boyne on the 12th of July if it was actually fought on the 1st of July is that not a bit Irish well I want to tell you this and if you listen to the thumbnail later on tonight you'll discover that the Battle of Ockram was actually fought on the 12th day of July. If you think of the little song, The Sash My Father Wore, it was worn in Derry, Akarim, Enniskillen, and the Boyne. And you see, the Battle of Ockram was fought on the 12th day of July, 1691. And it's part of that Williamite war in Ireland. But the Battle of the Boyne was fought on the 1st day of July, 1690. And why do we remember it on the 12th? Well, there's a simple answer. There was a change in the calendar. 1752, there was a new calendar introduced in Europe. It's called the Gregorian calendar. It's named after Pope Gregory, I think, the 13th. And many countries introduced it. And then, of course, Britain came under pressure from Europe, not a new thing, to, to succumb to this new calendar. They were using the Julian calendar. But eventually, Britain succumbed. So think of those that went to bed. Let's say it's September 1752. So the 2nd of September, you go to bed. And you're waking it up thinking, I'm going to wake up on the 3rd of September, 1752. Well, you'd be wrong. Because when you woke up again, you discovered that it wasn't the 3rd of September. It was now the 14th of September. Eleven days just had been added on. And in fact, there was riots in the streets because of that change. The certain change made dates like the 25th of March, which is to be the end of the financial year, to the 6th of April. 
And of course, the celebration of the boy moved from the first day of July to the 12th day of July, adding on the 11 days. So I'm going to ask the question now. Think with me. How did a Dutch prince end up at the Boyne? A member of the royal family in Holland, how did a Dutchman, a member of the royal family in Holland, become king of Great Britain? Here's the answer. James II of England was William's father-in-law. William had married James's the second daughter, who was called Mary. Someone said to me recently, and I'm trying to think of where it was, um, it's only a few weeks ago, that, yes, it was at a wedding last Monday past, um, that the Battle of the Boyne was really a household dispute between father-in-law and son-in-law over hereditary rights that spilled over into the whole of the country. It's not a bad assessment. But you see, in 1688, James, who had no heir to the throne... And he was in his 50s. It was expected that Mary would be next in line for the throne. That would mean a Protestant monarch. Because Mary was a Protestant along with her husband. Affirmed the reformed faith. But then James announced just out of the blue. That him and his wife had had a son. A new heir to the throne. It was widely believed that this was not his child at all. This was a child of a miller and his wife, and they had been well paid to keep silent, and they handed the child over, and the child was carried into the palace on a bedpan. James had now a male heir. And there's a real possibility of a successive line of Roman Catholic kings and queens sitting in the throne of England. And the fear of more than some, the peasants and the nobility, if I could call them that, was alarmed and raised in England. And it spread to Scotland, it spread to Ireland. And people were asking, what are we going to do? They remembered the murderous campaign. It was going on at that time, 1641 to 1688. They thought about the skullduggery, all of a sudden announcing a male heir to the throne. So a letter was sent via seven bishops requesting William to come to take the throne of England and marry his wife. Remember, she is a legitimate claim to the throne. William and Mary, they were to rule jointly. They had equal power and authority. I wonder if you've ever heard of the little nursery rhyme, rock a baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the boy breaks, the cradle will fall. Down will come baby, cradle and all. What if you ever sung that to your children? You probably have. You grannies and grandas, you've probably sung that to a grandchild. I remember hearing it sung as a child. But I've only discovered recently that that was actually a historical ballad. The tree top refers to James's family tree. The cradle refers to the newborn prince. The wind that blows is the wind that brings William and his forces across the channel to England. And in that day, then down will come baby, cradle and all. King William landed in England and tore. Torbay in 15, 
sorry, the 5th of November, 1688. And on his ship, the Brill, was this message from the mask, the liberties of England and the Protestant religion I will maintain. He arrived in um, Torquay on the Sunday, and because it was Sunday, he refused to disembark. Every ship was instructed to have Sabbath day worship. The next day, as I've said, was the 5th. And when he had landed in uh, Torbay, the bishop, um, Bishop Bennett, he led a religious service. And they sang simultaneously with no hymn books, no music sheet, Psalm 118. I wonder how many of us could do that tonight. I certainly couldn't lead you in it. He marched then to Exeter and marched to London. And do you know that on the 5th of November, 1688, during the days of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he instructed among his followers that that day was set aside for praise and worship and thanksgiving to God for the landing of William. William and Mary were crowned king and queen joint rulers in 1689. At the coronation, 2 Samuel 23 was read. They were presented with the Bible. Much like the coronation of our Queen Elizabeth II. William came to Ulster in June 1690. Saturday the 14th of June 1690, a fleet of 700 vessels was seen in Belfast Lock. He landed at Carrickfergus Castle. The next day was the Lord's Day and he worshipped in the parish church in Belfast in George's Chapel. Go down and visit that chapel. You'll learn some about the history there. The preacher took for his text and I quote, listen to these words. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. He emphasized this text of scripture, Isaiah 43, verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, they shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Was that not a word of prophecy about the boyne? In the 19th of June, he left Belfast. He regrouped with his army, which was encamped at Loch Bricklin, under the command of General Schomburg. He had 36,000 uh, troops. And, of course, it's widely known that he sheltered under the Spanish chestnut tree there in Scarva Domain. On the 25th of June, he passed through Newry. And by the 30th of June, he had reached the banks of the Boyne. James and the Jacobite army was already there. He had 30,000 men. William had 6,000 more. William's generals urged him to attack immediately. He refused. Here's what he did. He held a council of war. They had a prayer meeting. He then went round his troops and he instructed them from Romans 8 and 31, If God be for us, who can be against us? And the very next day then was the 1st of July, 1690. And even though he was wounded during that battle, William fought bravely and won a very historic victory over the Jacobite forces. I'm thinking as I think of application tonight, not only of William as an earthly monarch, but I'm thinking of another king 
a king called King Jesus, and how he defeated the kingdom of darkness at Calvary. Remember what we read there in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2 and 14, 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In other words, Calvary was the greatest battle of all time. Even though the Boyne and Akram were important battles in our history, here's the most important battle of all, the battle of the ages, the battle that the Lord Jesus fought and won against the devil. And even though the devil bruised his heel, the Lord Jesus broke the head of the devil. And that's exactly what happened in the life of William. Let's think fourthly of the deliverance that was beneficial. You see, we're here tonight and we're enjoying our freedoms. But do you know that our freedoms go all the way back to the Boyne? Do you know that in Hull in England there's a statue to William III, Prince of Orange, and this is what it says, three words, our great deliverer. You see, William, I told you, had more troops, 6,000, than James had. They were better trained. He had an excellent strategy. Uh, James's troops, of course, fled to Dublin. And whenever he got to Dublin, he complained to a woman that had asked him how the battle was going, that his army had fled. And she's supposed to have said, I see your majesty has won the race. He then fled to France. That was after the Battle of Ockram in 1691. You see, William's battle, the Williamite Wars, one for this country, political freedoms, religious freedoms, constitutional freedoms, significant freedoms, freedom to religious worship, freedom of speech, an elected parliament, an independent judiciary. And we prize that so much. And Europe was changed as a result of these victories. The face of it has remained to this day from that time. And in 1701, they brought in what is called the Williamite Settlement, which formed the very basis of our parliamentary democracy. And you can see the principle there, deliverance brought about great change. Doesn't the Bible say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature and old things have passed away and all things have become new? And, and I think of a greater deliverance that brought change, deliverance from the wrath to come, Deliverance from a lost eternity. And you know, if we think about freedoms that go back to the boy, then we've got to think about our freedoms that go back to Calvary. Remember I told you that William sheltered under a tree, a Spanish chestnut in Scarvedomain? That's true. But you know, there's a greater tree that you must shelter under, and, and that's called the cross. That's the tree upon which the Lord Jesus died and shed his blood because in the ground of that blood that was shed a great deliverance was wrought a deliverance that's beneficial not only for the physical man but for, for time and eternity for us spiritually and one final thing the death of the blessed William died age 51 did you know that? he died as a result of a fall his horse stumbled, this was in Hampton Court, in a mole hole. 
The year was 1702. I think it was the month of February. Did you know that to this day in certain Hibernian circles, they raise a glass to the mole, to Mr. Mole, dressed in black? As I've said, William died at Hampton Court. That was the very place where James I issued the proclamation in 1611 for the authorised version to be translated into the English from the Greek and the Hebrew. As a result of this fall, William took pneumonia. And here was his last words. Can this be long? He said that to his physicians. They prayed with him. He confessed his sins to the Lord. He asked for cleansing under the power of the blood. And he breathed his last and went into the Lord's presence. He was a man of moral character, a man of the book, a man of prayer, a man with love and compassion in his heart. Do you know that after the victory of the Boyne and Akram, he, he personally bought a thousand linen looms for the plantation settlers here in Northern Ireland. He also granted freedom for the Jews to worship something that they didn't have uh, way back uh, to um, the 12th century. Could I ask tonight as we close, I want you to understand that life on earth may not last long. See, Today you're in youth, you're in health and strength. You think, I'm untouchable. Nothing's going to happen to me. And then all of a sudden your life is gone. It's it's taken from you. Could you imagine a, a king riding a horse? He's rode a horse from he's a child. He could ride confidently and cheerfully and happily. He died in the most unexpected way. The horse got into a molehole, thrown off, taking pneumonia and dying. See, the book says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. The young may die, the old will die. Today you're in bloom, but tomorrow you could be being prepared for the tomb. Unexpected illness could come. An accident could happen. And you need to be ready to meet the Lord. I wonder tonight, are you ready to meet the Lord? The death of the blessed. How did he die? With prayer in his lips, confessing his sin, pleading the blood, thinking, this can't be long, because for him it was absent from the body and present with the Lord. How will you fare in the day of your death? I speak of the things that I've made, touching the king. And I pray that learning something of the life of King William as I've tried to apply it in the gospel that the Lord will bless these truths historically to her heart will cherish them up and will thank God for that victory and the freedoms that we enjoy the Lord bless you thank you for coming thank you for listening tonight